podcast that explores the logic behind physiological birth practices and is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Well Actually podcast, today's production of the Indie Birth Association. And I am Margo Blackstone, your host. And today I have a very special guest that I have been really excited about talking with for um, a bunch of months now, and we finally have found time to connect and to chat. So welcome today, uh, our special guest, Jenna Laflamme. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you, Margot. Very happy to be here. Awesome. Um, So before we dive in, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about her so you have some context. Uh, Jenna Laflamme is an expert in pleasurable weight loss and unshakable body confidence. Uh, she's the author of Pleasurable Weight Loss, The Secrets of Feeling Great, Losing Weight, and Loving Your Life Today, and the founder of the Pleasurable Weight Loss Movement. Uh, her profound teachings show that pleasurable weight loss is neither a contradiction nor an oxymoron. Uh, and I'm going to hopefully get to talk with her a lot about how this connects with pregnancy, which maybe isn't apparent right off the bat from, from this short bio. But um, I am so excited to talk with her, and let me tell you a little bit more about her before we before we dive in, um, and I think you'll see the connections here. So, uh, she learned to trust the wisdom of her female body and to trust pleasure, and then came to peace with food. Uh, her figure and her body image transformed, and then since then, Jenna has devoted her life to showing women around the world how to be in tune with the innate wisdom of their bodies, and how they too can be at peace with food while feeling great every step of the way. She takes a fierce stand for all women who take pride in themselves and their feminine nature, which is super badass, and I'm so glad she is joining us today. So welcome again, Jenna. Thank you. Um, So I guess before I ask you my first question, I wanted to say just a little bit about how I found you. Um, I had a Facebook friend who recommended your book, Pleasurable Weight Loss, in a group that I was in. And, uh, you know, like most women, I've had, you know, my own issues with food and dysfunctional eating and messed up body image. And um, I've been, you know, on the path to trying to lose weight on and off throughout my life. And so I thought, oh, boy, another weight loss book. But this was someone that I really trusted and, you know, really respected her sort of holistic approach to things. And um, so I sort of, you know, felt that that call in me and that resonance and felt like, okay, this one maybe is different. And so I ordered your book, I think, like the next minute. And I'm so Mm -hmm. glad that I did. And as I was reading it, you know, for my own purposes and, you know, trying to heal my own relationship with food and my body, um, I was just underlining things that I was like, this connects so deeply to the work I do with the midwife. Um, And so I've been recommending your book to lots of people um, and, you know, reached out to you to say, hey, like, can you talk to me more about these connections? And so I'm so grateful that you've agreed to do this, and I'm excited to hear what you think about some of these uh, observations I made while I was reading your book. Mm, Me too. Very excited to be here. (laughs) Awesome. So my first question for you, um, or first topic I wanted to sort of dig into was this idea of the female animal that you talk about. Um, 
and I'm going to let you talk about what that is, but I felt like that this approach, this idea of a female animal is so fitting for pregnancy because women, when they're pregnant, often feel their physicality so much more acutely. You know, their hunger is more intense and their um, body just, you know, they have so much awareness of what's happening in their bodies because so much more and so much newness is happening. Um, yeah. And so that shift to thinking about my body as her, as, you know, sort of um, my female animal, really helped me thinking about my own body. But um, can you tell us about what that concept is and what are the best ways to tap into that to to our female animals? Okay. How I came to to have this understanding about the female animal was after more than 10 years of really struggling with my body and hating with my hating my body I started being bulimic when I was 14 and I first thought I was fat when I was 12 and I say thought I was fat because at that point I wasn't I was a healthy girl and this idea that I was fat was just you know, complete conditioning I had seen adult women say they were fat and I'd absorbed this collective obsession with being fat, being thin, and just like a child, you know, what they see around them is what they become, and that's what I became. So by 14, I was hating my body. I was binging. I was purging. And when I look back now, I mean, I was just a fairly growing child who was doing this destructive act of eating with gills and eating too much in a hurry and secrecy and kicking my fingers down my throat, like, it's a really sorry sight. And I really suffered with that for a long time. Eventually, I stopped the purging part, but I kept binging, and that's when I did gain weight, and I, oh, I really tried to control myself. I went to nutrition school. I learned about nutrition. I thought that would help. Then I was just binging on health food, and it seemed like this <laughs> uncontrollable part of me that just wouldn't be satisfied and had to overeat to fill something. So when that changed was when I was complaining as usual, oh my God, my body, I want to be, you know, I don't like my body, I want to lose this weight, but I don't know how to control myself. And my teacher said, I know why you're struggling with your weight. I was like, why? He said, it's because you're not listening to her. And I was like, Who? Uh, he said, your body. He said, there's two of you. There's your mind and your body, and your body is an animal. Literally, a warm-blooded furry creature, an, a- an animal. And it's not an it, it's, she's a she. Your body is a female animal. And she's a living, breathing, wise, intelligent, decision-making animal that like all animals in nature, naturally knows how to eat, when to stop, when she's full, when she's had enough. You wouldn't imagine a monkey in the forest not knowing how to eat. For preposterous. all animals in nature, they know how to eat, to be in balance. So does your body. The problem is, you haven't been listening to her. The problem is, you haven't been respecting her. And, oof, Marco, it was like, oh, <laughs> in the gut, and I felt these ears prick up on the side of my head like critter ears, 
and this voice inside saying, hey, he's right. Listen to this guy. Uh, you ha- you are being mean to me. You, you, you don't. You put me down. You don't respect me. You don't admire me. You don't listen to me. And you haven't given me a chance. You just think I'm bad and wrong and punish me. And I'm smarter than you've been giving me credit. Um, and that was a defining moment that changed my life that I would wish to awaken and every woman listening right now that there's two of you. There's your mind and your body and your body's an animal and if you're pregnant right now, you are probably acutely aware um, that there's there's an animal growing inside you. And as Margot was saying, this is a, a time when uh, the the physicality, the animal nature is really pushed to the surface. And we feel this force that is greater than the mind. And the mind doesn't make that baby, the conscious, cognitive mind that can add up numbers and read sentences in books. It's not her. It's an animal. It's a creature inside of you. And it really, pregnancy is the ultimate magic trick. So we're like, wow. Amazing. Holy shit. Let the mind be humble. This really is a lot about the humbling of the mind. The mind that thinks it knows better. And oh my gosh, all the women that have argued to me, I'm not attractive, I'm not beautiful, and it sounds like some dictator in their mind casting this judgment on the body and it's like, who are you to be so, so uh, like, up on a high and pushing this body down on the low, it's really not personal. It's what we've seen in the patriarchy. It's what we see with the environmental injustice. Oh, Mother Earth, ah, fuck her, mine her, you know, poison her rivers, doesn't matter. She's there for us to use. That's what we've indoctrinated, been indoctrinated with towards our bodies. Oh, the body, you can just use it, abuse it. It's yours to do what you want with. Um, No, it's not. This is the turning point that if, if food and weight has been a struggle, we'll change everything. And even if that's never been a struggle, uh, is getting through pregnancy will be easier, yeah. more enjoyable mm-hmm. when you can relax into this humbling of the mind and this surrender that, you know, maybe somebody knows more than you. <laughs> and she mm-hmm. talks in feelings and she talks in sensations. And this is a, the gist of it, is that her intelligence is all about feelings. And it's about, in a simple term, do you feel good or do you feel bad? Does something feel good, expansive, enlivening, providing safety and thriving and you know, continuation of life? Or does something uh, cause a contraction, pain, uh, threat, danger, uh, suffering? Your body knows. At all times, your body knows. And it's when your mind goes against that and uh, then things get really complicated. And that's what's happened to us, is that we've been indoctrinated. Uh, if it feels good, probably bad for you. If it feels good, <laughs> you should probably feel guilty about it. If it feels good, don't tell anyone. You know, let just that be your guilty secret. And in nature, the opposite is true. If it feels good, it's good for you. If it feels good, it's health-giving. If it feels good, 
yeah, that's your ticket for survival and thriving. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Because as we evolved as humans, everything that felt good was, was healthy. Love making, food, fire, sunshine, you know, babies. It's just like, wow, there was no such thing as an unhealthy pleasure. Now we're in the modern day. We have junk food. We have computers, Facebook addictions. We have so many complexities that it takes more discernment. If it feels good, it's good for you, yes. Um, but let's look a little closer. Eating a pint of ice cream, does it feel good? Sort of in the moment, but it has a hangover. You have a sore belly right away, sugar breakout, sugar headache, hormonal upset. Okay, eating a whole pint of ice cream in a binge um, actually doesn't feel good. So here we're distinguishing between true pleasure and counterfeit pleasure. The true pleasure is the type that is sustainable. It's like Mother Earth itself. It gives, it gives, it allows you to have more of it. Counterfeit pleasure is the one, um, you know, overspending on a credit card. It's like, leaves you in lurch. You have a bad feeling afterwards. Um, having a whole bottle of wine by yourself, uh, you feel, you know, you feel the effect. There's, we know the difference between true and counterfeit pleasure, but we blur them and we let ourselves feel guilty and we put them all in one lump. Um, tuning into your animal is to really understand the difference, to include the true pleasure, and that's when your body says, yep, I want the foods that are good for me and I don't want the crap. Uh, yeah, I'd love to be active because that's really fun. Um, or I love meditation because I find the silence and the stillness. Whatever it is, the things that are good for you become what you enjoy and what's pleasurable. The things that aren't health-giving, you're like, uh, I could really it. No, thank you. So this is what we're talking about, a lifestyle of not needing to think too much or mentally strategize, but listening to the animal body, supporting your body, and the more you can relax, the more your body feels safe, the more your body is willing to let go of weight, is willing to have that that glow feels okay to be beautiful and sexy and get attention and you just feel better and better the rest of your life, basically. That's the big picture. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good segue, I think, into the second question I had for you. Um, and I can hear you pretty well. There's moments where you're sort of, like, fading in and out, so I don't know. If oh, okay. I hear it. Thanks for letting me know. Cool. How's that? I have that um, microphone closer now. That's all right. Um, okay, so so the second question I had for you was, so that we need pleasure. I really love that piece of your book, obviously, Pleasurable Weight Loss. You're, that's a huge piece of what you're talking about, and you've mentioned a little bit briefly so far, and that we can choose healthy and unhealthy versions of pleasure, uh, you know, or the counterfeit and true, as you're sort of making this, this uh, distinction. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, you know, part of what I took away is that we we need to, you know, use that discernment that we have uh, and and choose these things that are true true pleasures for ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And my question for you, from my midwife brain, is: so, what does this mean, you know, for the pregnant woman who comes to me and says, um, you know, food isn't enjoyable to her anymore, or she's not finding pleasure in food, or you know, it feels mm. like a job for her to eat because she's so hungry all the time. Um, you know, what What might I be able to say to that woman or what might you say to that woman who's listening who says, like, oh, you know, the idea of pleasurable eating is 
awesome, but I'm not finding a whole lot of pleasure in eating right now. Or she has morning sickness or, you know, whatever that looks like. I'm curious what you're um, Well, that sounds like a few different questions in one. Let, let me ask you professionally. Why, why is a pregnant woman hungry all the time? Um, you're asking me why, why pregnant women are hungry all the time? Yeah. You know, not all of them are, but I would say a good number of them end up eating, you know, every two or three hours um, when maybe they were used to being able to go. Um, and, you know, if they if they weren't tapped into their, their female animal before pregnancy and, you know, maybe were used to skipping meals and, you know, going longer than maybe, you know, I hate to use the word should because I'm not in their body, but... Um, Good. You know, someone who, who eats two meals a day and um, is running around and, and doesn't have to, you know, listen. Maybe her female animal is being quieter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Before pregnancy and then they're pregnant and now they're eating, you know, three meals a day and three snacks a day and they're waking up at two in the morning hungry and um, needing food to get through the night even day, you know, mm-hmm. close to the end of pregnancy. And, and professionally, do you think that is really the body's authentic craving or is that some compensation that they need to eat that much? You know, they need to eat that much. Um, that's such a good question and part of why I wanted to talk to you. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I have one daughter who, you know, I was pregnant with. <laughs> and so I only have my only my one experience of a full-term pregnancy and um you know, for me, I definitely was more, you know, more hungry. I needed more food than I need when I'm not pregnant. Um, so I don't know. And I, I've only been in my body, but that certainly felt that way to me, that I needed to eat more frequently and, and obviously larger amounts. Um, mm-hmm. I never did feel like eating was a job, so that isn't really a question from my personal experience. But I do mm-hmm. hear that from from women who are just sort of exhausted with the um, the process of having a feeling like they need to feed themselves so frequently. Like if yeah. they're yeah. just like, oh, I don't have time for the things I want to have time for um, because eating has become this full-time job. And I feel like these are mm-hmm. often women who, before pregnancy, um, maybe weren't nourishing themselves mm. as much. And it's difficult for them to now be forced. Got it. Got it. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Wow. So first of all, compassion, if you can relate with this, I feel you. And I completely understand as someone who is, I was going to say I'm single, I'm not, I'm married, but right now my husband is away in Switzerland and I'm, I feel like a single person when I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how tempting it can be to skip meals and yeah, something like a coffee is an appetite suppressant and you can go on stimulants and you can eat less and you can be up in your head and you can be effective and, and fast and get things done. And I see the destruction in that. And it it seems like having a child is this ultimate surrender to the animal. Mm-hmm. You're on her level now. And she... Um, now, it's... Um, just like they say in PMS, a woman is more sensitive <laughs> and she's also more intuitive and stuff that will trigger her that will come to the surface, it can be there all month. It's just now she's sensitive enough that it's 
to get through. And it might get come through in like an exaggerated way, mm-hmm. in a more trigger, but actually like there is something there. So I feel like that same metaphor here, like um, it's coming through like, whoa, food is taking so much attention. Okay, maybe it's, it feels excessive right now, but maybe there's some medicine there that um, that's what you really need is to ground and pay attention to the elements, the water, the fire, the earth, as they make up the food, as you are doing something sublimely magical, which is creating life from scratch. <laughs> and, you know, on some level, like, you should be so lucky that you're hungry and you've got a good appetite and you're feeding your baby and, you know, that's great. That's, are you really going to criticize your body? Like, right now, it's like the body just needs respect. Like, respect mm-hmm. the animal. She's making a baby. All hail the female creature. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It's one egg, one cell, combines with one cell and grows in the womb all the way to a miraculous child that can then live 100 years. It's like, wow. And you're complaining that you need to eat seven times a day, including 2 a.m. Well, you know. Mm-hmm. Just get to get to the big picture of um, this is just your body's your teacher right now. If there's a reason she wants to eat seven times a day, let's just trust it's a good reason. And be curious. Okay, you want to eat seven times a day. What snacks do you really want? What food do you really want for dinner? When you wake up at two a.m., you know, not just any snack. Like, what do you? Let me give it to you, animal. As you're asking for it. And you may find when you give yourself full permission to want that snack, you realize you just want to spoon into your partner and, like, just dream of a snack or something. Like, you don't really want mm-hmm. that if you're allowed to have it. If you're not allowed to have it, the forbidden fruit has that, oh, I'm not supposed to, ooh, rebellious, yeah, fuck it, I want it. Mm-hmm. If you say, I can have whatever I want. I can, my animal is free. Follow her instincts. For these nine months, she has carte blanche to be the leader here because she's making the baby. And let me be curious and respectful. Then there's a new possibility. How does that sound? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, something that came to mind while you were just responding was that um, there is such a lack of respect, you know, in this idea that, you know, women can do it all and have it all. And, and this is a really interesting time that we live in. And, you know, I have a women's studies degree. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not criticizing that, um, the, you know, the feminist movement or anything. But um, just this idea that, you know, I feel like I see a lot of women who think, you know, I can get pregnant and my life will be the same until I have the baby. Um, as opposed to taking really seriously this job of, like you're saying, this, our female animal is creating a baby from scratch, and it's a big job, um, and it's not something that happens, you know, while we're continuing full throttle necessarily with our with our other things we've been up to. It does take um, time and effort, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a 
at least part-time job. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe more than a part-time job if someone hasn't been um, really practicing self-care and um, you know, listening to her body before pregnancy. So, well, great. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, and just one more thing to say on that. Yeah, it ahead. can be that the reason you don't want to feed yourself seven times a day is because you want someone else to feed you seven times a day. And yeah. you want help and you want support. And I am so blessed. I married a man whose dad owns restaurants and he grew up the time he was a teenager working in the kitchen and has this sense that every meal needs to be a masterpiece <laughs> his of the mouth <laughs> and visually. And I'm spoiled rotten where he cooks for me all the time. Um, you know, I manifested that. What can I say? <laughs> I told the universe, universe, please, I want my food to be supported. Um, and anyway, I, I'm a lucky woman. Um, you might not have that available, a man cooking for you. Perhaps you could inspire someone. But there's, I mean, I always say what is a will, there's a way. There's, if you make it non-negotiable that you need support, you're going to find a way, you need inspiration, like eating seven times a day and it being a drag is not pleasurable. Right. Um, this is one of those things that you need to figure it out, get support, get someone to help you, call on your sisters. Um, yeah, find a way to love it. It really is one of those things. You find a way, so you mentioned eating, like they call it pleasurable eating. Connecting with your animals, first and foremost. Darling, we're going to eat together now. Super intimate. Body, my creature, my female animal, you and I are going to eat together now. Step one, being inside her as you eat, as you taste it, as you smell it. And having a sensory experience of the food with the five senses while breathing and relaxing. I could go into great detail about this, but trying to give a 60-second encapsulation of the process <laughs> called pleasurable eating, um, which when you put it in place, you, you do notice so much more and you get more pleasure and then you actually need to eat less because you're more satisfied because you had so much pleasure out of what you got. It sounds too good to be true, but it actually is scientific and works for weight loss and just enjoy enjoying food and pregnancy. You digest better, you assimilate better. So it's definitely better for babies. How does that sound? Yeah, doesn't that sound great? Mm-hmm. Um, that brought to mind um, something I have started doing really recently. Um, like this month recently, uh, I made a really big, fun batch of all organic, no refined sugar. Um, are you familiar with fat bombs? Like the idea of fat bombs and, um, you know, coconut oil and peanut butter and uh, just a tiny bit of maple syrup and um, sea salt. And so I've made these really fun, you know, essentially peanut butter cups that look good, organic ingredients, and I've been bringing them with me to prenatal appointments. Um, so I just love what you said about the asking for support piece, too, um, whether mm-hmm. that's from your midwife or from your community or, you know, um, getting together with people and cooking, you know, big batches of freezer meals together. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in the postpartum time, in the yeah. world at least, but I think prenatally is just as important. Um, so 
I really love that you said that, and that makes me think of some some more fun ideas that I'm going to try incorporating into my my practice and my community. So. Great. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I'm trying to prioritize my questions here because I have so many of them, and we have our finite amount of time, but let's see. Um, okay, so I feel like, you know, you've already touched on this a little bit, so maybe let's just see what you think. But uh, it's a big question that I I have as a midwife. So overeating is the focus of your book, you know, and I like I said to you, I would love if you wrote a pregnancy-specific one someday. So mm. I'm hoping that that's Thank sort you. of this way you. into your brain. <laughs> um, okay, I will. But uh, I am curious about something I feel like I see a lot in my work. Um, okay. Sort of the other side of the coin, so that you know, someone being like, "Oh, I'm so hungry, I'm eating seven times a day," and then the other side of the coin um, being that, um, you know, we live in this you know world where we've been conditioned into restrictive eating, and we're focused on depriving ourselves, and we're afraid of pleasure. Um, and so, I feel like a lot of the women I see when they're pregnant, these beliefs and fears seem to overshadow their appetite. But I don't know because I'm not in their body again. I don't mm-hmm. want to presume to know more than them. Um, but mm-hmm. it seems like there's a segment of the population, at least that I work with, who that seems to be happening. So, um, can you talk a little bit about that, and you know what you might say? Uh, yeah, is she's afraid to eat? Um, maybe the amount that her body's asking her to, or maybe isn't hearing the 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 cries of her female animal after yeah, her. Tell me a little more, bit more of what you're noticing. Just describe her. It could be in 60-second encapsulation. Describe this woman to you. Um, you know, this woman maybe, I don't know, okay, I'll make one up kind of with an amalgamation of a bunch of different clients I've had. So it maybe has three or four kids already and is pregnant again. And, um, you know, I asked her to do a food journal to share with me if she's so inclined and she gives it to me and, then she says, you know, I'm just not, I don't have time, I'm not that hungry, and she's maybe eating, you know, um, a bowl of cereal for breakfast and a quick, you know, half a sandwich or a sandwich for lunch and, you know, sort of a, what I would consider sort of a skimpy dinner for mm-hmm. even a not pregnant person. And she's like, well, I'm just not that hungry, and she's really not gaining weight um, super well, and maybe she has a history of having you know, early babies, um, mm. which there's, you know, some some at least anecdotal and some scientific evidence to show that not eating enough leads to, you know, even early term babies, so like 36, 37 week babies who then have a hard time laughing and nursing and it's just mm. not an optimal picture. So um, someone okay. who, who says, who, you know, even has this history that makes us think like, well, maybe you're not getting enough. Um, mm. And she's saying yeah. she's just not that hungry, and she doesn't have time, and she doesn't see it as a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I guess it's asking permission, like, what degree of feedback can I can I give you? Like, how? Yeah. To what degree do you want to hear what I have to share? And uh, I'm actually maybe not the most elegant way to say it, but like basically getting her her permission to really tell it as you see it. 
Mm-hmm. And then if you see that, to say, um, hey, um, I'm noticing uh, that uh, I, I believe you're under-eating. My, it's my professional opinion observing you that you're under-eating and that you're putting your your child at risk here and that... Uh, it, um, it seems like you're you're scared, and um, you know so much compassion for you here. Can we can we talk about um, what's going on beneath the surface? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, telling someone they have a problem that they think they don't have is is definitely not going to go anywhere. Right. So it uh, it would be coming in with a sensitivity. So what's on the other other side of this is um, women, there's been so much pressure on us to be thin. And I, the horror stories I hear of what parents have said to their children is mm-hmm. just, you know, it's child abuse in terms of telling a child that their body's not good enough, that they're fat, that they're thin, and there's this commenting, this obsession on the body. Uh, it's really not okay. It's not appropriate. It's um, it's definitely a form of misogyny and objectifying the mm-hmm. woman's body as if she's the, the cattle or the sheep or some part of the family farm and her body is under the ownership of the patriarchy. It's, it's not okay. And so many of us have internalized uh, beauty can only be this way, we can only be acceptable if we're small, if we're thin, if we eat less, and then if we're successful at that and we're rewarded for being thin, then all the more we need to stick to that. And you know, this woman, if this is you, listening, my heart goes out to you. And and I've been that way. I was always bulimic. You know, it's same thing. It's really uh, doing something that body does not want to do is just controlling. I mean, that's obviously a whole different extreme example. But um, I would say the what's available if you've been controlling is to, well, like the fear is understandable, the, the conditioning, the mixed up messages that have come in, the beliefs, like it's not your fault that you're doing this. And it, there's some leap of faith that there's another way where you can truly drop in to the primal, physical, animal intelligence, that instinct, that self-preservation instinct, and that you can live not only through your head controlling your body, but through your body guiding. And, And that can include, especially in pregnancy, eating more. And, um, yeah, I would say lean into that fear and what you have to gain by becoming more animal and, and, and wild and less controlled and more instinctual is so worth it. And it's worth like, overshooting the mark a bit and, you know, not getting it perfect. And we're not looking for perfection. We're just looking for authenticity. And your 
uh, allowing your body to be half the leader of your life. So this is this is a, a critical time to do it. Yeah, and I would say, you know, your book is such an awesome source of some of these exercises too. You know, once someone's committed to taking that leap and um, you talk about um, diversifying the pleasure portfolio, I think is what you, you know, I think you quoted mm-hmm. constantly. Um, and, you know, getting, looking at our sources of stress and, you know, all of these pieces of, you know, self-care that we talk about. But I feel like your book, your book has helped me reframe it as not just um, a mental health thing um, and, will, you know, makes it easier for me to talk to people about it being, you know, like you said, it makes us better able to digest our food and it, um, you know, maybe could help someone in this situation who um, is just, you know, in their pregnancy starting to question some of these beliefs they've had um, about their body and about what's okay and um, and getting her in touch with the female animal maybe for the first time mm-hmm. in her life. Um, so, sure. yeah, so your book is, I think, a great a great starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's called Pleasurable Weight Loss, The Secret to Feeling Great, Losing Weight, and Loving Your Life Today. Yeah, yeah. And I always have a copy in my, in my midwifery office. People, oh, are like, Why? you know, people, <laughs> people um, that I've mentioned are like, oh, like, how does that relate to pregnancy? So I'm so glad I'll be able to point them to this podcast. Um, this is why it's the same. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I guess this is sort of an extension of that question. And so I don't, I don't know how much you want to talk about it or not, but I definitely want to ask um, more, more specifically. So something I struggle with as a midway is striking a balance, or maybe there isn't a balance, maybe I've been approaching it in not quite the right way, but um, for the sake of discussion, striking a balance between trusting a mom's intuition around her eating and her instinctual eating, and then feeling like she might need guidance and some level of, like, prescription around amounts yeah. of serving food per day. So, you know, of course, there's the official um, ACOG, um, you know, the obstetrician. Um, perspective, and they say, you know, pregnant women need this many servings of this, and this many servings of that, and this many calories, and then there's this um, other other approach, but it's a similarly prescriptive approach um, that a lot of midwives use, um, which is the Brewer diet, and, you know, Dr. Brewer did this really fantastic work looking at um, how whole food, essentially, it's not rocket science, right, so a whole food diet and letting giving women access to good food um, if they were, you know, perhaps um, really struggling. And, you know, a lot of the women he uh, were poor, lived in the inner city, were women of color, um, and they didn't have great access to food. So giving women access to whole foods when they were pregnant improved their pregnancy outcomes. Like Totally. totally. No shit, right? Yeah. Nothing terribly exciting. But, um, you know, I've been guilty of, especially when there's someone who – you know, maybe give me back a food journal and it seems like maybe not enough food. I'm certainly, I've certainly said, well, here, look at this brewer diet checklist. Um, it has these different servings of the different categories of food. Um, and let's see, you know, how many servings you're missing and, and, or if there's any categories overall that you're maybe, um, you know, not getting enough of consistently. Um, yeah. And using it as sort of a benchmark. 
And we talked yeah. a lot about it in our, our childbirth education class. Um, our whole first week is about pregnancy and a huge chunk of it is nutrition. And, and they do a lot of nutritional work with clients, um, suffice to say. But So I've used that as a tool. But I also, you know, as I'm reading your books and, and even before, I didn't always feel the most comfortable doing that because I do believe yeah. that we have what we need. And so I guess I'm just looking for some wise words to me about how to either find that balance or if I should be directing all of my efforts into, um, you know, talking with women about their instinctual eating and instinctually uh-huh. moving to pregnancy okay. instead. Okay, got it. So I think it's a both end. Okay. I think uh, there's this thing called instinctotherapy. They did these tests in Germany where they put out uh, just this whole huge buffet for people um, and it was like a, a special experiment where people over a long period of time could eat anything they wanted and um, and they saw at the beginning people ate junk food, like they ate seeds <laughs> and the refined things, but over time they came to eat the whole foods and uh, like whole food, when you're really eating for pleasure, whole foods make you feel better. Right. Healthy food makes you feel better. The The unhealthy food okay, you know, you can get a short-term, like, oh, sugar rush. But um, it really is the case that whole foods, it's just obvious. You get the whole nutrition, you get the less refined crap where they make more money, you know, selling you refined things. It just makes sense that back to nature, whole foods is the way to go. Um so I think there's a trap on the, on the fat thing that a lot of people have this fat phobia. Mm-hmm. A lot of women have this. Oh, don't put too much oil in it. Uh, I'm the opposite. I would say I put oil on everything and love butter and don't have that fat phobia. Um, and I, I really think the fat phobia, yeah, it's like a really unhealthy virus. So if you, if you have that in yourself, that's something really to be aware of and like you said about the under-eating, like if you're, skim, you know, skimping in the fat department, that's a really red flag and just completely unscientific. And don't do that. <laughs> take care of your baby. Take care of yourself. Don't be, don't fall for the propaganda on, on being scared of fat. Totally. Uh, um, but in terms of the like the brewer's diet, um, it just sounds to me like you're offering an education. It doesn't sound like you're proselytizing like uh, a diet obsession. Um, it sounds like you're trying to use it diplomatically as a educational tool, and I think you know teaching bioindividuality at the same time. Everyone's different. Is a you know, here's a framework of high-quality food for you to find your, you know, where you are uh, in that scale. But I, I think intuitively it sounds helpful. Um, and then to teach the, the pleasurable eating and the instinctive eating at the same time. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a back, yeah, I like that, a both and and sort of this back and forth with both and, um, cool. That's super helpful for me. Um, so I wanted to talk about sexy stuff. Okay, so 
I love in your book how you talk about sexual anorexia. And, you know, you're talking about obviously more than food in your book and finding pleasure in all of these different places. And, of course, then we have to talk about sexual pleasure since that's, you know, one of the most pleasurable things we can participate in. So, um, and you talk about regularly orgasming and finding ways to fully embrace your sexuality and how that makes it harder to be um, in this sort of controlling mindset and this deprivation mindset and, you know, less likely to be driven to, you know, self-destructive mm-hmm. behavior. Um, and you talk about dopamine and it's all really cool and scientific and great. And so as I was reading this part, I was, like, really underlining a lot um, since we talk so much about, you know, oxytocin and the release of oxytocin because mm-hmm. obviously it's the hormone that we release in the orgasm is the hormone that, um, you know, makes our uterus contract and get the baby out during labor mm-hmm. and, you know, all the other fields that are also looking at this, obviously, oxytocin mm-hmm. is like a hot topic at the moment and I won't pretend to know much about it beyond my realm of labor and birth, but um, so I'm wondering, you know, I, I definitely believe that orgasming regularly and this feeling sexy mm-hmm. and giving ourselves permission to feel sexy helps ensure a smoother labor and birth, you know, from just anecdotally seeing that. Um, but a lot of women struggle with their libido and changing body image uh, in pregnancy. And so I'd love your advice around how to talk to moms about this need mm-hmm. and this hunger and, and you know, how do we approach this topic with pregnant women. Because some sit mm-hmm. in front of me and say, I'm horny all the time and, <laughs> you know, this is the best ever and my husband loves this and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then other women are like, I never want to see a penis ever again in my life. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> um, so, you mm-hmm. know, there's a wide spectrum there, but I'm just curious what, what your thoughts are. Mm. Well, <laughs> I think... I think, again, so much of it is conditioning. Yeah. Uh, I'm just guessing that the one who's saying, I don't want to touch a penis again, that there's been subliminal conditioning from childhood that pregnancy and the hottest sex of your life don't go together. And um, but it's, it's some trauma somewhere along the line that has made this disconnect. And I would hold as the example the one that says I'm horny all the time and my husband's so into it as like that being the natural way, that being the way nature wants it. Nature wants you in your pregnancy to be in constant pleasure, to be orgasmic, to be, from what I understand, uh, having studied the documentaries Orgasmic Birth mm-hmm. and there's another similar one, um, Static Birth. And that orgasm is the way the baby got in <laughs> and orgasm can be the way the baby gets out and that's about a high state of presence and awareness of sensation of full embodiment and like this can be the most tantric amazing time of your life when you are creating life like wow you can just have your head held high you can have this self-esteem that certainly no other man can have um, where you just worship yourself for being life itself creating. And you worship that part of you where it happened, which is your pussy. And, um, you know, if there's a reason you're like, oh, I don't want a dick near me, that's 
possibly, maybe she doesn't want a dick. Maybe she wants a tongue. Or maybe she wants something a lot softer, more sensual. Maybe she just wants a feather stroked across her yoni for hours. And she doesn't want the penetration in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it may That may be your body's way of saying, I didn't actually like the, how the sex is. Um, but it doesn't mean she doesn't want the sex. It means um, mm-hmm. there needs to be a, an evolution of the quality, and that can start with yourself and your own self-pleasuring. Do you know how to touch yourself in that sensual, beautiful way? Um, of course, it's going to change and be more sensitive. I can certainly say from what I've heard about from sex-positive people who have like really enjoyed pregnancy sex, like... I you know there's, there's something amazing available. Your hormones are so heightened, and I know, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it myself. <laughs> so um, don't don't miss out and get help. And I mean, you say get help from where? Often it's hard to know where to go for this. Certainly, you can get help from me on your relationship to your sexuality and. Um, allowing that. I know it can be a big feat. It's really easy to say, just like, oh, yeah, just, you know, let yourself get into it, when there can be just such heavy roots and, and reasons for the suffering so or for that disconnection. But I will say it is it is possible, however shut down you may be feeling, to fully awaken and fully flower. And, like, may we all... Like, I saw that in the Orgasmic Birth video. Um they were kissing, she was tongue kissing her hubby while during the labor in the bath. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Right? And I was like, oh, my God. Just my whole world, like, cracked into, <laughs> like, I have no idea this is possible. Oh, and um, she's actually my friend, Amber Hartnell. Um, my belly dance teacher, um, or let me just say, a belly dance teacher I've known, who um, has three kids, told me that she had a joint in her labor. And I was like, I really respect this woman. She's a healthy woman. And she found that, like, that's okay. And her, that it was relaxing yeah. her, that it was working for her. And I was just like, okay, respect. Um, yeah. What were you going to say? No, that's great. Yeah, as a bringing pleasure into the labor environment can only benefit, um, you know, the smoothness and the effectiveness and, of of the labor as far as, like, getting the baby out as, as smoothly as possible. And so, yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear. And that's a great, you know, film for people to check out if they haven't seen it. Um, Orgasmic Birth, I believe you can stream it on Amazon now. For a oh, great. Bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the I don't want to say the flip side of that is, you know, a lot of women, even who I think are really, you know, sex positive and have, you know, pretty low stress lives and awesome self-care, you know, some of them do or a lot of them do experience labor as painful. Um, sure. But, but, in that is, but then afterwards don't say that it was painful in the way that it was not, it was not traumatic. It was not... Um, you know, that it was sort of like a, there was still pleasure in that pain, if that makes sense, um, and that the, the process of labor and birth was still ultimately, you know, um, pleasurable, but yeah, that's a big discussion. I know for me, you know, I've birthed one baby and um, 
contractions themselves are not pleasurable to me uh, at all, but um, the actual letting her out of my body, like getting her through my pelvis and through my vagina felt really good. Um, I don't wow. think it was orgasmic, but it was definitely, I would do that part over a thousand times. It was awesome. Wow. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I might not be the best uh, case study just because I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I did have a very pleasurable pregnancy. Um, just, I had a lot going on emotionally and, um, uh, yeah, so I think I would have a different experience in the future. And I ended up having a very long labor, um, and I often attribute that to um, the amount of stress that I was under and mm-hmm. the, lack of, the lack of tries and the lack of support and the lack of those things that, you know, if I were to be pregnant again, I would put into place because now I have a really clear vision of how how much it does affect things. So Yeah, now um, you know better. I only know better. Know better, do better, so... Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. And um, just, just one, one last thing to say on that that I yeah. recently had a, a lecture by the ecstatic birth founder, and okay. he was uh, describing a birth that it was. I, I didn't use these words, but it was how I interpreted it. It was like foreplay. Like if you're going to fuck before you just stick the dick in there, you, you want to caress and, you know, oral sex and, like, I think that's the right way to do it is that full build-up and um, it takes 45 minutes for a woman to reach her full peak of engorgement mm-hmm. and, like, that's a great time to, like, go all the way. So um, she was describing um, preparing the vagina as if for sex but for the birth. Mm-hmm. And that in, her, in the first two, um, she wasn't saying she had oral sex. My, my, but this was the the concept that, that I was imagining was this opening. Um, but I didn't really ask too many personal questions. Um, but the essence was um, preparing the tissues. Oh yeah, that um, she went from having an episiotomy, so being cut open, to the second pregnancy um, being ripped, to the third pregnancy no ripping at all and mm-hmm. this much smoother birth. And in this process of um, relaxing into it more and going all the way to bringing this direct opening of the vagina. So I thought that was amazing. I, that was next level for me. I just heard that a few weeks ago. Yeah, well, and it's such a, you know, I teach a lot of uh, free birth workshops in my community and um we're having people teach our indie birth workshops in other communities now too through a new program that we're starting this month. Um, and, you know, one of the things I talk about is, you know, the birth is sexual. And for some reason, this is still just such a foreign concept to people. Like it's, it's somehow been erased from our understanding. Um, I can't imagine that our ancestors hundreds and thousands of years ago didn't understand that, that, you know, that's what, like you said, orgasm is what gets the baby in, and, and that's you know what gets the baby out. It's the same hormones, it's the same pieces of our anatomy, which aren't pieces at all; it's all interconnected. But you know mm-hmm. what I mean. And so, um, and I really, really, really love what you sort of you know were suggesting, just that even if someone's not interested in sex, as they've thought about it previously, um, mm-hmm. just to be creative and. Um, really listen again. I'm just coming back to that listening. And what do you? What would be pleasurable 
um, maybe it's just that you want your partner to give you a massage or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, it's like, mm-hmm. and so I really appreciate you saying that, and I hope people do reach out to you um, if, they're, if they're needing more support and feeling, like you said, so closed off. And, yeah. And it's important that people don't feel that way in pregnancy um, and to do the work. Yeah, totally. And don't guilt yourself for feeling right. shut down. Just know that it's a process and it's, it's a worthwhile adventure to heal. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. I have one last question for you. Okay. Uh, so I love the way, this is sort of switching gears again, but I love the way that you frame, like, the punishing exercise versus pleasurable movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is something that I talk a lot um, with my clients about, too, and I'd love to just hear what you think about how that relates to pregnancy and um, what you might say to someone. Because, again, I feel like I see a lot of people on one side of the spectrum or the other where either they're like, um, you know, I haven't made movement part of my life and now they're pregnant and they're like, oh, maybe I should do that. Or, um, you know, clients who are super, super active and now they're pregnant and they're wondering, should I keep being, you know, and maybe even they have been doing what I would consider more like punishing exercise um, and how to transmute that in pregnancy into something more healthy. So, cool. What you thought. So, the whole concept of punishing exercise comes from this no pain, no gain, gain, calories in, calories out model that you just got to work the body like a workhorse to burn the fat and build the muscles and it just... Um, it means to an end that's something that's got to be done. It's very much like a factory mentality. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate? Yeah, definitely, which is, I think, what most people are exposed to, especially as women, you know, if we're, you know, even, you know, people in my family are like, oh, I can eat back my calories or you know, now I get to eat, you know, blah, this money because I earned this money. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is an instant red flag because it's the mind dictating the burning of calories. I mean, <laughs> what a mental concept. Very male, yeah. Very masculine. Very male, very mental, very disconnected. Mm-hmm. And here's the, the basic essence of 101 to get to know your animal body. Your body's metabolism at all times is in one of two states, in the stress mode or the relaxation mode. In the stress mode, there's a perceived danger, something I need to protect myself against. This is what you don't want to be in in pregnancy because it translates to that soul in your womb that there's a danger. Uh, You want to be in relaxation where you're letting your body know, the baby know this world is safe, this is a, a wholesome world, I'm whole, complete, safe, loved, belonging, life is good. That's when you digest and assimilate and burn calories at their at its peak. So it's about how you feel and how you feel is not, um, yeah, can never be me- measured in a number. It's an authentic feeling. Do I feel good or do I not? And you always know that truth about yourself and know that you can know it. So... Uh, when it comes to exercise, if you're doing exercise that makes you feel stressed out, you don't like the gym, you don't like the sport, you're just like, ugh, 
just doing it from this mental place, you don't really feel feel it. Like if you didn't have to lose weight, you wouldn't do it. Then it's the wrong movement, I would say. That's actually a really good filter question. You know, if I was in my perfect shape, would I want to be doing this form of exercise? Yes, then great. And I can say full-hearted yes to everything I do. I do a lot of dance, partner dance, belly dance, hula dance, different things, yoga, Pilates, roller skating, biking, making love. It's great physical exercise that I just, (laughs) it's not a chore. It's definitely not a punishing exercise. It's a pleasurable movement. So if you think, no, nothing would be pleasurable for me, that's just a lack of imagination. That's just uh, being, yeah, being unwilling to be curious about, no, what is my body, what's my body curious about? All animals like to move. And it can be walking. That's the first start. That's a great first start. And then maybe it's swimming or rollerblading or dancing is the number one I recommend to all women. And it expands, and I really challenge you that there is no place for pleasure for punishing exercise. It stresses you out. It's counterproductive. It's just don't buy into it and persist to find that pleasurable movement. Be creative. Be curious. Yeah, um, I love that you talked about belly dancing um, a lot in the book too. I think, and then just now, you know, that originally. At least as I understand it, I'm not a belly dance expert, but I know that some of the belly dance teachers I know um, have told me that it originated as sort of like a fertility um, dance, you know, and a yeah. pregnancy and birth dance, a way to prepare for labor and birth and, um, and to increase fertility um, since there's so much action going on near the womb. So I think that's a great agreement. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, just to say one thing on that. You mm-hmm. imagine women before there were hospitals, before there were drugs and possible surgery, when like literally we died, women died in childbirth, and that was just mm-hmm. the reality of evolution. Mm-hmm. And we are the daughters of the ones that survived. And hallelujah. Like what? What brilliance? What was wisdom? And part of that was having this dance that created the support of the muscles to do the job. Totally. And like that's genius. So building it into the culture of women doing this dance that creates an incredible dexterity and and power in the womb area and the vagina. And then the, not even, just like the whole energy of the body, how to move the current through the body and life force. Like, well done, women. So, yes, that's it's my understanding that historically belly dance had that prescriptive function of supporting a woman to be ready for birth without a modern hospital, essentially. Right. Uh, and yeah. That other piece, too, of, you know, doing it with other women and mm-hmm. having that amazing sisterhood and that um, just that connection through dancing together, I think mm-hmm. is it's probably part of the magic of that too. Um, mm-hmm. Beyond even the just the the physical physicality of totally, totally the empowerment, the sisterhood. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you know, 
being able to dance through labor with with the women you've been dancing with and mm-hmm. you know it's not it's just feeling like a natural extension of your life as opposed to like you know we have so many things now to prepare us for labor or to do it right and it's no birthing and this and that and while I think all of those things have have their place um it's really hard to incorporate those tools into someone's labor, into your own labor, if it's not just an extension of your everyday life. Mm-hmm. Totally. So the best way I think to prepare women for labor and birth is to to do what what you're suggesting, suggesting this revolution of um, you know already having pleasurable lives leading up to the experience and having support and having you know natural um, and pleasurable movements as part of our lives. So mm. It's not just another day, but in some ways it's just another day and we're utilizing all those schools we've already been mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's a good excuse to get into them if you're not yet. What's that? It's a good excuse to get into it if you're not yet. That's right. Well, I think those are all of my questions. I mean, I can come up with like 10 more. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, our time is coming to a close, but um, is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners before we sign off today? Hmm. I would say let this be an experience, let your pregnancy be an experience of increasing your esteem, increasing your appreciation of the magic of your body, of the cycle of life, that you are like a reborn child with wonder and with playfulness and earthing and uh, that your mind be the the servant of your body, the devoted, respectful, chivalrous, goddess-worshipping mind that holds compassion for the animal first and foremost and kindness, being kind, being a friend to yourself, being a friend to your body. That's that's what counts the most. Those are excellent pieces of advice. And I just want to say thank you again so much. I really deeply appreciate the work that you're doing out in the world. And um, I'm so grateful to have probably not by any accident uh, come across your work and so that I can share it and try and incorporate um, some of your ideas into the work that I do and, and share it with pregnant women. And, um, so really, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for the work mm. that you're doing. You're mm, welcome. And I'm going to try and come up with other ways to uh, rope you into helping us out over here at Indiever, So <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> um, so... Look, I have something, a special gift for your listeners. May I share it? Yes, please. So I've created an introduction, uh, introductory email course, e-course, called Seven Days of Pleasurable Weight Loss. And it's totally free. It's at pleasurableweightloss.com. And you get these, um, yeah, you, you get the first steps. You get the practices. You get some recipes. You get to... Test it out, and that's completely free. Um, yeah. Also, the other thing I talk a lot about is unshakable body confidence. So, pleasurable weight loss. Uh, again, with pregnancy, it might not sound 
immediately compatible because it's the time you are intending on uh, gaining weight uh, naturally. So um, I would still say that the the spirit of the process is about things that are going to be really helpful in pregnancy. So you can read between the lines and um, still clearly understand um, what's applicable to you and really knowing what's best for your body. I love to talk about unshakable body confidence too, and that is something I would love every pregnant woman to have, that unshakable, unshakable, unshakable body confidence that arises deep from within, uh, independent of the fluctuations of the mind. So uh, that's something it, it will coming in through the pleasurableweightloss.com will sort of guide you also into the unshakable body confidence. So that's all there together. And I'll say my book is on on my website, pleasurableweightloss.com slash book. You can find my book there, Pleasurable Weight Loss, and, and on other places online too, bookstores. And I've got a program coming up called Six Weeks of Pleasurable Weight Loss that's an e-course an online video community um, group mentor program, an online group mentorship program. And so come over to pleasurableweightloss.com and you will get in the get in the know of everything that's going on. And I'll post a link to your website um, along with the podcast when we put it up in the next couple of days. So that people can find you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being with us today, and I look forward to inspiring with you more in the future, I hope. Mm. <laughs> thank you so much, Margot. It's a total honor. Good All luck, right. everyone. Stay in touch. Thank you. And so until because... next time... Yeah, until next time, you can find out all the things we're up to over at IndieBirth.com. Um, make sure that you find us on Facebook, and we have lots of awesome articles and photos and um, different ways to interact with our community every day, a couple times a day there. And, um, yeah, as always, if you have ideas for podcasts um, or things you want us to talk about, myself or Marin, feel free to get in touch with us at margot at com or marin at com. We love hearing from you. Thanks, everybody.